0: Hello and welcome to Odds and Evenings, a podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers, and games. My name is Alex. I am one of the two hosts on the show, and with me, as always, is Alaric. Hello. Hello, Alex. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty decent. In a new setup, so if this sounds different, that's why it is hot in the room.
1: You sent me a picture before we started this of you surrounded by like a mattress behind you. Is that the yeah. first sound?
0: Yeah, it's it's hopefully it's, it'll sound a little better. I'm no longer in a uh, in a house with a flight path over it, I'm no longer in a house with a million cars going past. There's still quite a few cars. I'm still on a kind of kind of mainish road, but I've got better sound insulation. So hopefully, I'm going to be sounding a little better henceforth. Any um, just... nearby trains? That was always the pause that we had to do
1: in the podcast before. Uh,
0: I also am no longer near any trains, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to do some mathematics?
1: Yes. Let's get into okay. it. There is a quiz show called Only Connect Um, It's a British quiz show Do you know it?
0: Yes, but I have never watched it
1: Okay, all episodes are pretty much identical to each other They they all follow the same format And there's one particular round Called the wall round Where each of the teams goes and does a a word wall um, And they try and get as many connections as possible The format of it is you get 16 words Arranged on a a grid So um, a 4x4 grid and there is only one way of grouping them into four groups of four things. Hmm. So one of the connections might be, say, cats. And so you might see the word uh, lion, puma, cheetah, jaguar. Right. But it might be that there were too many words. It might be that there was also, I don't know which one I haven't done, leopard, maybe? Yeah. Um, and it might be that one of the other categories might be brands of car. So Ford... Uh, Peugeot, that sort of thing, where yes. Jaguar might fit in as well. Yes,
0: or you might have, I guess, sporting brands where Puma might go in there or something like that. Exactly.
1: These four groups of things, they make it so there are loads of overlaps between them. Mm-hmm. But they guarantee a unique answer. Now, it gets hard when you don't know some of the categories, so you might not spot them. It might not be like a wordy thing, like they're all anagrams of something or something that you don't spot. Um... But they they give you lots of attempts And so you're you're frantically like trying to press them all Until you get four, which form a group And it gives you a little tick that you're right
0: Is it a physical
1: Yeah, the, the team of three people All have a big kind of pad in front of them And they're all clicking Once they've got two of the groups done And they know that they're right So they've only got eight words left It gives them only three attempts from that point So you can't just brute force at the end
0: Okay, yeah
1: Um, And they've got a few minutes to do it. Now, they're quite good fun to design. Uh, For Christmases, I often make a few Christmas, like, word walls. Often Christmas-themed for my family's Christmas quiz. What's nice about designing them is picking these categories where words overlap. However, it's very easy if you make too many overlaps to make it non-unique. So, for instance, you might have something from... Group A that also goes in Group B, and something for Group B that also goes in Group C, and something in Group C that also goes in Group A. Mm. At which point you could kind of rotate those three answers around, and you've got a non-unique answer.
0: Yeah.
1: What I'd like to do is investigate, perhaps enumerate, how many distinct structures are there for only Connect
0: that you could base your walls on. Oh, a bit like how there's only certain types of Sudoku. Yeah, and you know, the fact that there's numbers in Sudoku is actually completely arbitrary. You could have smiley faces or yeah, pictures yeah. of cows. Right. You could
1: relabel it at will. With this mm. thing, we it doesn't matter in our enumeration whether the category is say cats. All we're trying to do here is say, okay, how many things from group A also overlap with group B, and so on. What's the underlying structure?
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: And. I kind of suspect that there aren't that many, yeah, I haven't had a go at this i I've been saving it for the podcast, but I, yeah, yeah, it just having written walls myself, it quickly gets to the point where I've run out of places where I can put extra connections.
0: okay, I think obviously the positioning of them completely doesn't doesn't matter
1: yeah, labeling them a to D is irrelevant,
0: although it might be useful to think about it, where you have all the a's on the top row or the all the B's. Like, start with the the, the the trivial case, which is where they're completely separate from each other. Yeah. And then let's... Put let's, um, on things that. on top of that, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, do you think in columns or rows?
1: Uh, I'll, I'll go with the rows that you've done.
0: Oh, I was actually... Want- I wanted to do columns originally. <laughs> I, I don't mind. Okay, right. Let's imagine they're in columns. Okay. And you have column A on the left-hand side. Has Alt.
1: is four things which may be a1 a2 a3 a4 which
0: are a yeah um then column b just in the next next of that to the right hand side with four things which will which will be yep and then c and then d you were saying a1 a2 a3 a4 i don't think that matters yep because
1: it doesn't matter in the order in the group
0: yeah and it doesn't matter the the, the positioning or, or anything like that um so you have that so there's at least one yep and then probably the next thing that you'd want to do... I'm just talking out loud here. Yep. Probably the next thing you want to do... I don't have the solution. The next thing you want to do is call the one in A, A slash B. Okay, yep. Meaning that it can go in A or or B.
1: Now, because B already has four things there, then that's still a unique answer because there's only four things which could possibly go in A. And so that A slash B had to go in there anyway. So it's definitely unique so you had your base case where there's no overlap and we found this extra one where one of the things in A could also have gone in B.
0: So let's say, for example, now that I take the bottom B, I call that A slash B as well.
1: At which point we get a non-unique answer because those two things can now be swapped. Mm. So as soon as you've got uh, something in one of the columns, which could go in a second column, we can't do the same back again.
0: That's a good rule. Yep. yep. Then there must be five to start with. So you have the one where they're completely distinct. Yep. And then you have one where there's one A slash B in the A column. Yep. Two, okay. three, and four of those.
1: Okay. Yep. I agree. Now, if we tried comparing A to C, we will start back at the uh, the base case where everything is distinct. If we now had one of the ones in A as an A slash C, that's exactly the same structure as the first one that you did, the A slash B. Yeah. So we're not counting that one.
0: Not counting that one.
1: That, that's, that's the same thing.
0: That's it's just a relabeling thing. of B and C. But you could have one where there's A, A, A slash B, and A slash C. In fact, there yep. is a kind of family of them where you don't touch B, C, and D at all. And you just uh, you just modify a and you see how many possible different modifications of a there are
1: yes, and all of the ones which just modify a from this point on have to ha- include at least the letter B and C because you've done all the ones that just include the letter B so shall we carry on with just manipulating the first column here so we've got not manipulating it at all one case yeah, putting in B's, which gives us four extra cases, yeah. Putting in B's and C's? Well, we know one of them at least has to have a B in it. We've had lots of generality. So our column for A could go A slash B, A slash C, A, A. Yeah. It could go A/B, A/C, A/C, A slash B, A slash C, A slash C. Yeah. A. Which is exactly the same case as A slash B, A slash B, A slash C, A. Yes. Yeah. We could go A slash B, A slash C, A slash C, A slash C. It's like one B and three C's in it column. Yeah.
0: There's one share and then three of the other shares. Yep. Yeah. And you could go two and two, I suppose.
1: Yep. And then that's done. Yeah. And then the final one, just manipulating the A column, is having A/B, A/C, A/D, A slash B, A slash C, A slash D, A. Yeah. And then bumping one of those up as well. So... Yeah, an one extra where there's two B, shares an extra of one C, type.
0: Extra yeah. D. Yeah.
1: So, the cases we've had so far, there was the one where we didn't adjust any of the columns, which is one case. Yep. Manipulating the first column only, we've got four different ways that we could do it, introducing one extra letter, mm-hmm. plus an extra five ways introducing two letters, plus an extra two ways introducing three letters.
0: Okay. For a total of how many ways so far? Twelve. 12
1: 12 ways so far It'd be nice if we could build up some sort of general pattern here If we wanted to do it Instead of a 4x4 grid like N by N
0: Yes, or even worse, N by m.
1: Yeah, should we do the 4 case first And then see if we can uh, do some of the trivial cases Yeah,
0: and then then we'll start with the the 1x1 case And the 2x2 case Yeah Yeah. Okay. (laughs)
1: Um, Okay So, we've done all the cases Where we're only manipulating one of the columns yeah, So now we have to manipulate two of the columns hmm. This is where it's going
0: to get messier So I assume you can actually do anything you want As long as nothing touches A again
1: Ah, does that work? So I talked about making a loop in the past So it was impossible to have something where in column A it could also have gone in B If you also had one in B that led back to A your thing yeah. of never touching A again is preventing bigger loops, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's preventing B from touching A, C from touching A, D from touching A, for okay. example. It doesn't mean that there aren't more interesting things involved. It just means that any of these ones that... Well, hmm. Okay, I'm going to say it and then we'll see if it's true. Yep. Um, it means that any of these ones that don't touch A, you can multiply that number by that number that we just came up with for how many you get just by modifying the left hand side
1: yeah that's interesting i am just trying to think if uh, once we've taken out a that would reduce the number in the other ones because they can't talk about a anymore
0: yeah which probably means that the general formula is something recursive
1: yeah i agree if we've taken out one of the columns we now need to know the case for the three by three case
0: oh the three by four case
1: uh yeah okay
0: that doesn't sound that bad we've dealt with recursive things in the past is it uh recursive thing, or is there a way to think about it where... No, no, it is. It is, isn't it? It is just straight recursive. There's no sort of weird like, grouping thing going on.
1: Yeah. I'm kind of imagining it. You know how we can't go back to A? I'm imagining each of these uh, groups as like an abstract shape, like a, a little block. A we can't touch again, so I'm imagining that like on the table, yeah, like flat. All of the others will be stacked up on top of it, so there's a little block for B and for C and for D and so on. It's like the other fundamentally higher, like, folder at that point. They can never refer to anything below. And once, say, we place B down, then, say, C and D would have to be, like, strictly above that as well.
0: I mean, this leads to an interesting result, which is that you can't have D... Having any shares inside it
1: Yes, because then you definitely get a loop Oh That's not true
0: Because if no, if nobody refers to D Then D can do what it wants
1: That's just a relabeling So your oh, original that is, statement yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that you can't have Four things Four different groups Which all don't refer to something else But if A is just all A's then that is essentially like the d in the example you were giving before
0: but what if what if a is all a's and then and then b only refers to c
1: then i would have relabeled the case you've just given me as your b's are actually just a's
0: yeah because if then if b only refers to c then d can completely do what it at once and there's no you've nothing to worry about and if d does if b does refer to d or if c refers to d then we're at what we think is correct which is the cascading yeah um, kind of recursive thing okay so does that mean we now want to do the case for one by four and see what happens okay and then two by four and then
1: so what does the case one by four refer to in this
0: one group of four
1: the contestants go up and they they're faced with four words and there is exactly one group and they say those are those four words yes okay there is one way of doing that
0: one way of doing that
1: so the two by four case what does that refer to two groups of four things
0: yes two groups of four things
1: Okay, so we have our A group and our B group. Yeah. No extra labelings is one way. And then in the A group, we could have an extra B, an extra two yep. Bs, an extra three C three Bs, or an extra four Bs. Yeah. So plus an additional four ways, so there's five ways in total. Yeah. Three, four?
0: So. Now, it's not the same as multiplying by five, which might be the, the pattern, because there is more than five ways of doing this now, because the C column... Can refer to all those interesting combinations of A and B that we had before.
1: Yeah, which is an additional five ways because I've taken off the the two, which included the Ds. So it, it gives a total of um, 11 ways so far for the three four case.
0: 11 ways of what?
1: 11 ways of structuring three groups of four things.
0: Now, why was it 11 ways? Because we had five ways. We had five ways when it was two.
1: Oh, ha- hang on, I've added it up incorrectly. Ten ways. Ten ways. Because we've got one where there's no overlap, plus the additional four for when there were two things overlapping, plus an additional five for three things overlapping.
0: So let's think about the C column. Let's just explicit it. So there's the version of the C column where it do- it's, it's doing nothing. Yep. Version where it's touching just A. It, that's not the same as it touching just B. Or maybe it is because it's like, Oh, this is really rough. This is really hard to think about because there's so many things where it just turns into something you've already seen.
1: Yep. It'd be nice to have some sort of like structure, some sort of like diagram I could draw, like it was a organic chemistry problem.
0: I bet it's a node graph thing. I know it's a very odds and evenings thing for us to do, but maybe it's maybe maybe it's like a unique node graph thing where each uh, where each node can reach out to has an order of maximum four. OED is when it has an order of maximum 4, because if something reaches back to it, then it has an order of 5. No, how does that work?
1: I've just sent Alex four pictures. They are abstract blobs. Each picture has four blobs, labelled A to D. But there's overlapping going on between the blobs. In each one, A is the blob, which is fully not covered by any other blob. That's the group A. Some of the blobs are overlapping others. When a blob is being overlapped, that means that there was a sharing going between them. So when A is overlapping the blob for B, that means that something in A could also have gone in B.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, as I see it, I think I can only find four different structures here. There's the one where A's blob is partially over B and C and D. It's like its blob is resting on the three other circles they're all independent of each other that's the case where a refers to b c and d but it doesn't ref- they don't refer to each other yeah another case is that a is overlapping b which is overlapping c which is overlapping d so a refers to has something that would also go in b b has something that would also go in c c has something that would also go in d again we can't have like something then overlapping a because then we can get a loop again we're trying to avoid loops so what I'm doing here is I'm structuring things above other things. Do you get what I'm getting at?
0: Yeah, I can I can understand what you're getting at. I, you might be missing the sort of order of the overlap, which is how many things A puts into B. But it's a nice way of thinking okay. about it on a topological basis.
1: The other cases I've got here is A is above B, which is above both C and D. It's like you get a branching later on. Mm-hmm. And then I've got A is above B and C, and one of those is above D d
0: i think i'm drawing the same thing but with different notation okay except i I'm, I'm doing a standard directed node graph thing and what you're essentially doing is you're creating trees and it's how many not necessarily connected trees because remember you could have d not touching anything yeah which does change things slightly because you're, sum, you're summing you're summing all the previous that's that's what gave us the sense that it was recursive but nonetheless yep.
1: i think arrowed arcs on your graph is needed here
0: yeah and you, you can have a maximum of in, in this case four outbound arrows, and yep. you can have any any number of inbound arrows yep on the provisor that there is no loop created yes, which is to say that it is a tree, which is exactly what you're doing with, with your with your yep.
1: blobs. my blobs were missing some of the structure, I suppose, because say in my picture where a is on top. And it is above B and C and D, and they're all independent from each other. Oh, yeah. Well, I could move B and C next to each other, say that one of them's above the other one, and oh, that would yeah. still be fine.
0: Yeah, that would be, yeah.
1: And so my my blobs are non... <laughs> they don't cover
0: all the cases. I don't know a good in from here. I mean, I mean, we've enumerated in an abstract sense what the numerical answer is, but I don't know how to calculate what that number is.
1: I think at some point later after the podcast, I will draw up, in a nice arrow diagram way, all of the different cases for the 4x4. Yeah.
0: I've been thinking a little bit about queuing. Okay. Um, not least because of pandemic stuff, but I was thinking about this Christmas time as well. And there is a really interesting branch of something that's kind of like statistics, but is also just kind of like, I don't, I don't really know how to think about it, but it's called queuing theory. Okay. It's it's applied maths. Applied maths doesn't have to fit in any particular bucket. It's, uh, it's just, you use the tools that are available to you to solve the problem. So, yep. queuing theory, how do we think about the mathematics of queuing? Do you know anything about queuing theory?
1: We did some simulation stuff, so some of the different exam boards back when decision maths was around had simulating queues quite a lot. So it was often about traffic, but sometimes it was people getting to the the front of a queue in a shop, and uh, one of the things we were playing around with was, let's say you've got three different cashiers. One way to do it would be that you'd have three separate queues, and people just join the back of those queues, and once you're in the queue, you don't really switch. Yeah. Another way to do it is to have three cashiers still, but you've got one big queue, and then when you get to the front of the big queue, you go to whichever cashier is next free. Right. Which kind of, like, levels it out a bit. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that the sort of thing you were thinking about?
0: Yeah, that is. And queuing theory has this whole notation for talking about how you think about these different arrangements of queuing. I think it's called Kendall's notation. And I'm not going to go into those because they're quite deep and they're quite advanced, but you can you can go and have a look if you want. I'm going to think about the, um, the most simple case of queuing which produces a surprising result when you make one change to it um, okay. in, in, in certain cases. So you think about a single teller, which is you know someone ringing someone up in a shop. Yep. Uh, so there's some service time, some, some processing time required there yep. to put someone through. And there's also an, an arrival rate of, uh, of people. So arriving. these are the
1: people that are getting to the back of the queue and possibly they're not coming at a consistent rate.
0: Yeah. Like, you might get a
1: few people at once, and then not someone for a bit of time.
0: Yeah, you have to think about it as a Poisson distribution. Yeah. Let's say, for example, that you have a Poisson distribution where you have eight people arriving per unit time, but let's say per hour. Yep. You have eight people arriving per hour, and the the service, the till person, is capable of sending people through at ten people per hour. Yep. Now, you might think, well, if they can do it 10 people per hour and 8 people per hour are turning up, then no problem, right? Like, there's going to be no wait time because they're spaced out. But because it's a Poisson distribution... Yeah.
1: Sometimes they're not serving anyone for a while and then two people come at once and so they have to wait a bit. And those can compound.
0: Exactly. And so there is actually a uh, an overall time that it takes to... Uh, both wait and get served. There's a formula for this. Okay. You have a certain um, service rate, which is how fast in sort of people per hour the the teller is working. Yep. That's normally denoted with a uh, a mu. Okay, love it. And an arrival rate, which is a Poisson distribution, which of course uses a lambda for its mean. Um, Because it's Poisson distribution.
1: L and M. L and M. Yeah. And so if mu... Was smaller than lambda, so if the teller was not fast enough to uh, deal with the people, even if they came at a perfect distribution, yeah, then the queue gets longer and longer and longer.
0: Yes, the queue gets longer and longer and longer, and it gives a nonsensical result, which is a negative service time. Okay, cool. Uh, an interesting way to think about it is as lambda tends towards mu, because the formula. Sorry, let me let me state the formula. The the, the full time is one over mu minus lambda.
1: Oh, that's quite neat. What, what what is that? What what are the units on this? Yes,
0: so that is the average length of time that it takes from arrival to completion of service. So okay. this is this is the unit is T because we are um, doing the inverse of the uh, difference between two rates, and a rate is uh, inverse T is the unit for that. So
1: your example you gave of um, people arriving eight people an hour, so yeah. lambda would be eight. And um, the teller can deal with ten people an hour. Yeah. Popping into the formula, we've got one over ten minus eight, which is one over two. So it's saying half an hour.
0: Half an hour. Yeah.
1: That's the average time it would take to be served. Um,
0: so th- this is in a this is in a steady state. So you're imagining that this run for infinite time, and it doesn't actually touch the um, the initial conditions because when you think about it, when you're imagining a queue like this, you're probably imagining there being like i don't know like zero people in the queue to approach for example but that's that's a really like extreme case of this um, i see it's it's being run for an infinite amount of time so you're thinking that actually there is probably some 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 formula which i haven't looked up which probably tells you on average how many people are in the queue but i yeah
1: but the half an hour seems quite a long time That, that surprises me how long it is in this case yeah and I yeah. suppose it's because the numbers are quite close to each other, so it's very easy. Because the eight and the ten are quite close, it's very easy for quite long clumps to arrive.
0: Yeah. Now, this also this assumes a fixed service time as well. I think in in our heads we also imagine a some kind of variable service time. But if this is something like let's say a haircut, yep. Um, some at then... the post
1: office. Some are just buying a book of stamps. Some are doing something complicated, sending something to America.
0: Yeah, or like a, a shop, for example, and someone has 100 items and someone has one item. That's not what we're modelling here. We're modelling something where it's the exact same thing is happening every time. Like, for example, putting a wristband on someone to enter a festival or something like that.
1: Okay, so it's a press-on distribution for Lambda, the arrival time, but it's not a press-on distribution for the service time. Correct. Uh, is it a common uh, extension of this model to do press-on on both? I don't know. Because it seems like quite a natural thing to uh, to then
0: do the version where they're both not Poisson and they're both fixed is kind of useless this is kind of the first useful um, thing and this is very useful in computing because you know you might have attempts to log in for example and it always is the exact same processing time to process an attempt to log in okay or something like that but they might come in at, at, at different cases and in fact this is actually much more useful when it comes to computing because those things are super fixed as to how long they take or at least the variation on them is minimal compared to the number of people in a shop for example
1: we've talked through three of the four cases here of poisson poisson not poisson not poisson poisson not poisson is there a natural case that could be modelled by the arrival time is steady rate the service time is poisson distributed
0: I can imagine it's probably the same right it's probably the same result as non poisson poisson but you just flip the um, flip the variables Mm. Doubt Yeah, okay But that's not what I'm here to talk about Okay, <laughs> <laughs> <I> have, <laughs> go ahead I have an interesting result that comes When when the rates are really close to each other And what is to be done in a shop, for example When the queues are getting really long Okay Obviously the worst thing about a queue is the waiting Yep You kind of don't mind how long it takes When you actually get to having the thing done But you really don't like waiting around for a haircut But then when you're having the haircut actually done It's like, I'm having the haircut done I'm done with being frustrated with this experience. So, one of the things to think about is to think about the wait time rather than the overall time to process. Okay. And so, if we think about the the wait times instead, um, which is to say one over mu minus lambda minus one over lambda. Yep. Don't calculate that just yet. But <laughs> you you take the full amount of time minus the take away the time to process. Yep, and you just have the frustration time, which is the time that you actually spend in the queue. Then you uh, you get an, an interesting result pops out. So I've taken this from a two thousand and eight blog um, by a guy called John D. Cook, and he talked about this. I my, I get the numbers are very slightly different than him, but um, but from whatever that's fine. If you take, for example, customers that take uh, ten minutes to serve, yep, and they arrive at a rate of five point eight per hour.
1: Okay, so lambda is 5.8 The other number you gave me I have to do some calculation there to get mu, don't I? So it takes yes. 10 minutes to serve So they're doing 6 per hour 6 per hour, yeah So what was the units on the 5.8? That was. That's,
0: that's per hour as well
1: Okay, cool yeah. So we've got a lambda of 5.8 and we've got a mu of 6 Yeah Which is good because at least mu is bigger But they're close
0: Yes, but they're close And if you turns out if you put the two together yep. You get something really quite large
1: So 1 over 0.2 Which is 5
0: 5, so it's 5 hours <laughs> And the wait time on that Because it takes 10 minutes to serve Is 5 hours minus 10 minutes yep. Which is 4.83 hours Which yep. is 4 hours 50 minutes
1: So what industry was this? What was this from?
0: Uh, this We're talking about a bank in this case Okay. So you, you imagine that it, it takes 10 minutes to serve, and they arrive 5.8 per hour. This is, a, this is just an example um, of the guys actually thinking about computing. Yep. So you think, okay, right, so that's obviously quite bad. Yep. Um, what can we do to reduce that? Um, well, if you reduce the service time, that increases mu because you're increasing the rate at which you serve them. Yep. Um, so why don't we just make our tellers faster and better? So let's put into that formula that it takes five minutes to serve. Instead. So which instead is to say you, you you double mu. So make it mu is now twelve instead of instead of six.
1: So one over zero point two was the original one and that gave us five hours. Yeah. One over seven point two, which is like zero point one three eight 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 that's in hours. So if I times it by 60. Yeah. It gives me 8.3 minutes.
0: 8.3 minutes. And then if you take off the service time, which is 5 minutes. Yep. You're down to 3 minutes,
1: which is yeah. Which is expensive. really
0: tiny. Uh, so this is this really this is this really interesting um, result which is that if you double the service time even, you know, by making tellers twice as good, which you probably can't do, or by adding a second teller. Yep. You have this massive—you know—you've you've, you've changed one variable by a factor of two, yeah—and you've swung the whole thing by a factor of about ninety.
1: Yeah, that 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 is surprising. <laughs> it falls into that category of math- mathematical paradoxes where the, the, there's not anything broken going on here. It's just a an ex- a result we weren't expecting.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, and so it, we, we dig a little bit deeper into the algebra. Um, yep. we can do that calculation that I told you not to do earlier. So, so we have
1: 1 over mu minus lambda. Yeah. And then we're taking away the service time.
0: Yeah, so you take away 1 over mu. Mu. Okay. And then and then simplify that.
1: Give me a minute. We're doing some common denominator stuff here. On the numerator, some stuff cancelled out. It didn't cancel out that much.
0: No. So, the, I mean, if you've got the... If the correct result which, I've got I, I lambda
1: over do. and then there's two factors on the denominator here I've got mu and I've got yep. lambda minus oh uh, sorry mu minus lambda
0: yeah so you should have lambda over mu times mu minus lambda yep. Um. yeah which shows that you know, things are kind of quadratic in mu on the bottom
1: yeah increasing mu doubling mu gives you a factor kind of 4 ish
0: but you have this kind of interesting also asymptotic type thing because you've got mu minus lambda, which when they get really close to each other can create some really sort of pinchy high or really low values. The time it makes the
1: most difference is when they were really close together to start with. So when they are originally 5.8 and 6, they're really close. And so any increase that you can do at all to a decrease service time is going to make a huge difference. Yeah. But it's diminishing
0: returns. It will tend towards... Quadratic returns, which is still pretty good. Yeah. Um. But very early on, it's yeah. You have some really really high high results. And I've I've just realised how you can work out the length of the queue is you take that wait time and you divide it by the service time. And okay. that's how that's how many people there are. So in the original, it actually as in the original blog, it talks it says yeah, it says twenty eight people, which makes sense to me. Yep. Queue is twenty eight long, but in this, like, it's it's a five minute, it's a sorry it's a three minute queue. Yeah. Um, with a five-minute service time, so that's like not even one person in the queue when you turn up, and that's just because they added a second teller, or they had one teller who was twice as fast, which is not an interesting or useful way to think about it. Yeah. In real
1: life, these queues have natural bits where the whole system like winds down and then starts back up again. So, say you're working a shop, you're probably not expecting anyone there at night time, and yep. so the queues definitely get down to zero. When they start up again, you were talking about this case where we've run it for an infinite amount of time already, and so there could already be quite a sizable queue. Yeah. But any time you run down the batteries on this system, you start again. Yeah. We are used to the case where the batteries have been run down. You go to the shop, and probably it's only been open for an hour, and so the queue is not going to be super long. Mm. In your example with 5.8 minutes and then 6 minutes it seemed inconceivable that it was going to take five hours because that wouldn't happen in real life.
0: Well, also in real life, and for some reason I've become very interested in how supermarkets manage queues and things like that. Yep. When the queue builds up... People you know, switch. You Yeah, they have a button and they ring it and you hear this ring sound and then people who are stocking shelves drop what they're doing and they come and serve the queue instead.
1: Some, some supermarkets are more dynamic about this than others, so Aldi is the one that comes to mind for me. Where they will often have one or two lanes running, but then they will often open up extra
0: ones when there's surges. Yeah. Um Sainsbury's Sainsbury's local is is good at this. And that's totally it makes sense, right? Yeah. If the queue's getting long, it probably means these these two things are getting close to each other, or God forbid, the arrival yeah. rate is exceeding the service rate, which means the queue is will just grow and grow and grow.
1: The more different cashiers you have the more you can get it to be like a steady rate, right?
0: Yeah, and this comes to your thing of the um, of thinking one, about it in terms of a distribution.
1: Yeah. Having w- uh, one queue that feeds into multiple different cashiers or having the ability to switch queues when they look like they're taking a long time. They both help flatten this as well. Yeah, I, the I
0: suspect that those are very similar in terms of results. Yep. But one queue and you and you're stuck with it will probably give slightly different results than um, than one queue which gets like put into three different tellers at the end.
1: How? So the place where people get quite fraught with queues that I'm thinking of is uh, theme parks. Yeah. You really want to go on the big Zappatron 2000? Uh, yeah. The roller Now that's a fixed service time, right? Yeah, it's fixed service time. It's probably not quite a price on distribution because if it's looking like a long queue, then maybe you uh, you save it for later or you yeah. don't go.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's an interesting... I was thinking about this a few minutes ago. You're probably less likely to want to join a queue that's long.
1: Yeah. Now, it doesn't seem like there's much they can do because you can't uh, double, say,
0: the capacity of the ride. So you just have to decrease the amount of people who are turning up. Yep. Which is probably why they put those signs up that say, it's a 20-minute wait from this point. Yep. Or it's a... And it and it shows that they could, with pretty decent precision, you know, if you assume a, a kind of static spatial density of people in a, in a queue... Yep. You don't have too many 2D people who are stacked on top of each other in the queue. Um, then... Uh, uh, then you can say from this point it's twenty five minutes, from this point it's thirty-five, and hopefully that'll dissuade some people from turning up, you'll decrease the arrival time and reduce the queue length and thereby make people happier.
1: Yeah. It feels like it puts a natural limit on how long one circuit of the ride can take if you're a roller coaster designer. You have to get a certain number of people through per hour. That that's the point where you can choose how to affect mute.
0: Well, when the ride is long enough, you can... And i learned this from Rollercoaster Tycoon, the video game, is you can... Have multiple carts. Have multiple carts, yeah.
1: Yeah, so you get your river rapids and you've got 50 circular boats going around at one time.
0: Yeah, and they can all bump into each other and stuff like that. But if you're on a standard rail one... Yep. Yeah. You can probably only have one on at a time because they go so fast and you wouldn't want it to... You know, you wouldn't want someone to go like, Oh no, I dropped my watch in the cart and the yep. big sign's going, There's... Six minutes, six <laughs> seconds until the the thing arrives, and it comes in, and they bump into each other. Like that's you can't can't be doing that. But with river rapids, where it's like clonky clonk, wood bump into each other, not too bad. If someone gets a bit like yep. bumper carted in it, then yeah.
1: Which other methods can you think of that people try and optimize queues? So I, I'm thinking of those um, take a ticket, take a number, sort of things. Sometimes yeah. cheese counters have them. What's that doing to Lambda and Mu? Well. Nothing, right?
0: No, it doesn't decrease the total amount of wait time, but it reduces the pain of that wait time. Got it. Because you can go off and do something else because the number is still at 238 and your number 250. So you can see how long you've got until you need to turn up. Yep. One thing that I was thinking about was in Disneyland, they have the kind of like priority boarding passes. Okay, yep. And you can go around and you can press a button and then you get a ticket and it says you can priority board within this, like, 10-minute window. And so and that's trying up,
1: to flatten out the peaks of the Poisson distribution. It,
0: regulate the service, yeah. Um, and you can also think about, on the on the London Underground, has a thing they do where they regulate the service, where if the gaps are becoming too long between each other, or it's becoming a bit too clumped up, a bit too Poisson-y, they'll stop one so that it's even. Which is a good indication that perhaps you don't want a Poisson distribution in terms of service time. Yep, Because you... Increase some people's wait time And perhaps it's better to Maybe it makes no difference overall But you don't want some people waiting for no minutes And some people waiting for an hour You want people to be more even In terms of their waiting times Yeah. Cool huh Yeah. theory, there's way more to it I think But um, that's just a a taste
1: It feels uh, a nice thing to play around With simulations of Mm. So cars at junctions, waiting at traffic lights Things like that Yeah I don't play guitar But I am aware of guitars Um, Alternative tunings Yeah People have spoken to me about drop D I'm aware there's lots of other types as well Yes So this is where, instead of your standard tuning of
0: E-A-D-G-B-E
1: You can tune them to be In other places In the music spectrum Now, most songs Seem to be in the standard tuning but it yep. seems like some genres prefer other tunings. Yes. And it looks like there are quite a lot out there, although some are more popular than others. Yeah. Let's say you write a song. How do you choose the perfect tuning? By this, I kind of mean like what what's easiest to play once you figured it all out. Like, I suppose, nice for your hands.
0: Nice for your hands, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about three instances of alternate tunings. Okay. And then we'll see, like, why they do those. You mentioned drop D. Yep. Um, what that is is when you you take the the lowest the E string and you reduce it by a tone down to D, which is means that, that the two b- frets. Uh, yeah, two frets, two semitones from from a white to a black to a white on, okay. the, on the piano, and that means the three lowest strings, are D, A, and D. Okay. That D, A, and D happens to make a uh, so that's the, the, the tonic of the scale, which is the first of the scale, and the, the dominant of the scale, which is the fifth in the scale, and then yep. back to the tonic again, okay. And so it creates this perfect f- what's called, fifth, what's called a perfect fifth interval or a fifth, and uh, that sounds really nice. That's what we call a power chord. Famous power chords are like American Idiot by Green Day, uses a lot of fifths in the down and a down That's all those are chords, and in heavy metal, which is usually where. This tuning turns up, and in some some rock, uh, it just means that you can play that power chord just by putting your finger straight across. Okay. So it means that, and this is going to probably this is important for for the next example. Um, you can play nice sounding things with open tunings, which okay. is to say you're not using your fingers um, barring bar. <laughs> I see. W- weird choice of words, but bar being just putting a finger straight the way across so you don't have to use on on a guitar you can put your finger straight the way across and you don't have to use your um your middle ring or little finger to form any chords um or any any put your fingers on any frets and i it see still sound nice
1: and if you've got a capo on there you can put it at various different heights and it's still playing the kind of the equivalent of open strings it's still going to be nice because you've got lots of fifths skin the whole way down the strings
0: yeah for the for the first for the, for the bottom three okay. um and it and you know if if you are okay with only having three fingers available to make chords then you also, you don't need a capo at all and you just do that with your index finger. Your index finger acts as the capo. Okay. Um uh, so yeah, so that, that that's drop D. Um a another tuning which I think is will illuminate on the topic a little bit more is C standard. Okay. Um, I haven't heard it this one. So C standard. Or something like D standard or C-sharp standard. This is also... They're kind of used in like metal as well, but it's also used in in a few more places. Um, Is when you take the entire standard tuning. Yep. um, E-A-D-G-B-E. And you lower the whole thing such that the bottom string is a a C now. So you're taking the whole thing down by four semitones.
1: Linearly. Everything's
0: just transposed. Everything goes down, yeah. Which makes absolutely no difference to the fingering i think it only makes a difference to the sound i mean it might make a very slight difference to the fingering in the, the the maybe the strings are slightly looser and so they might feel a little different but in terms of where you actually have to, where you actually have to physically put your fingers it's like it's like no difference Yep. um so some people just do, do it for the sound um and then i guess the last example is another one that's quite similar to the first one which is um God, and I don't know what the actual tuning is, but in slide blues, they have a tuning that sounds really good with the with the with the slide. The slide being a um, I don't know if it's called a slide, but they they use a something that they can slide around on the strings okay. um, smoothly, and it's like it's like a capo that can slide all the way up and down.
1: I see. You adjust it mid-song.
0: Yeah, you just, it that's why it goes, you know, because it's going, they're taking it all the way from the bottom up to the, up to the middle. And in that case, um, they're kind of flipping between doing this thing. It's kind of, it's kind of, I used to use a, uh, it was just a glass, uh, glass cylinder with open ends. That I stick my finger in, but I think, um, some of them, um, uh, use things that were attached to their fingers or whatever. Okay. Um, so they do that. There is a really interesting YouTube guitarist who's been doing. You choose the tuning, and then he'll play something nice in that tuning. Links in the show notes. Links in the show notes. Um, So he'll do like cabbage tuning, C A B B A G E, or decade. You know, when when it got to twenty twenty, he did. So he played something in decade tuning. Um, I okay.
1: So he's trying to make nice long words that you can make out of letters A to G.
0: Yes, and and people in the comments suggest funny words. Ab um, fab, abba. He, yeah, or he did. He did. Uh, he did one on a bass in dead tuning. D E A D. And of course, he plays seven strings and eight strings, so you can make longer words and things like that. Okay. Um. Yeah, but how exactly? If you could choose any tuning you wanted, and you already had a song to play.
1: Uh, let's uh, so what are the metrics here for what makes it easy as a guitar player presumably if you've got lots where you're transitioning between one chord and the next chord having a lot of the fingers stay in the same place
0: yeah unless you're fancy and trying to use your thumb you basically have or you know or something from your other hand you have four fingers that you can use on the different strings yep uh, which means it would be nice if everything stayed within a four fret range if you're playing melodies or, or, or chords I uh,
1: because the width of your hand is finite.
0: Yeah, because the width of your hand can probably deal with four different frets. Now, if you're higher up on the fretboard, you can you can be all over the place. Like you can you can stretch across like eight or nine frets. Because as you get closer towards the uh, the, the humbuckers on an electric guitar or the hole in a, yep. in, a in an acoustic guitar, the frets then get closer. The frets get closer together. Yeah.
1: I see. So that might be an advantage to. Uh, the second example you gave of transitioning everything down four frets, is
0: that um, like in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. I suppose. I mean, I think they just do it because everyone's used to a standard tuning, and so when they hear something lower, it like picks makes the ear pick up a little bit. Okay. So, if you had a computer and
1: you were yep. trying to input a piece of music, so a song, maybe in sheet music form, into it in some way. Yeah. What would be nice is if the computer could decide which tuning you should be using so that it makes lots of, say, nice open frets, open strings, and nice hand positions for chords and nice transitions between them. That sort of thing. Because it seems quite a hard thing for humans to decide which one's going to be nice. Like, you'd have to just try it out on each of them.
0: Depends what you're doing the most of. If you're playing chords, let's say you're just playing some chords, then there's definitely something really interesting you can do there. Okay. I don't know, you would Put some kind of weighting on use of frets, and then yep. you would use a search algorithm to find the like the minimal of that. Okay. But if you were playing the melody a lot, like you're doing solos, you probably don't want a lot of opens actually, and you probably want to be able to be on a different fret, because when your finger touches the string it, you you would you'd be muting the previous note. Okay. You know, you don't want too many notes that are, that are overlapping each other. You, you want to be playing one note and then the next note, which means the previous string, if you're moving from string to string, you need to lift up that finger. But if it's on the same fret, then you're yeah. going to find it di- more difficult to lift up that finger. So ideally you want to be...
1: Um, okay, so around. my metric of lots of open strings
0: is not necessarily what you want. Oh, good for chords. If you're playing chords, then lots of open strings is, is, is great. I mean, that's the... yeah. So my metrics aren't
1: right. But I think it must be true in saying that for each song, there are some tunings which are better than other tunings, right? There are some local maximums here. Yeah. And it'd be nice if an algorithm could pop out at least one good one for each song.
0: Yeah, the, the, the might make certain things slightly better. There is the complication of what musicians are used to in terms of where they need to put their fingers for certain intervals.
1: If someone's always played standard tuning, then it's easy for them to play certain chords. Whereas if you've designed some bespoke tuning which made that song particularly nice it means they're unable to play anything else because they've never been in that particular tuning other than for that song
0: yeah because you have to completely relearn the the chord shapes okay and so if if you'd handed the guitar to someone and say play a g chord and they'll play something and it would sound completely useless because they would go to the um three two zero 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 three i think that's the fingering um Something like that.
1: It's like using a Tavorac keyboard on a laptop. It means no one else is going to be able to use your laptop.
0: Yeah, yeah, you would would start suddenly doing gibberish. And there is a really, really interesting side case where um, in the song Under the Bridge...
1: Red Hot Chili Peppers? By
0: Red Hot Chili Peppers. And this is highlighted by a guy called Paul Davids on YouTube. In the song Under the Bridge by Red Hot Chili Peppers... It has a famous opening, which is like and it's just this nice like interval where it plays a low note and then a high note. Okay. That B, I think it's an open B or something like that. That string is tuned microtonally because it's such a big stretch and this is something I'd love to cover on a future episode. Like Most instruments are out of tune. The piano is out of tune. The guitars are out of tune. Um, because they need to do this whole, like, twelfth root of two thing. Yeah. that's actually not how the intervals work in, in like, mathematically. So it's a big fudge. I'm aware of some
1: of this, but yes, let's save it for another episode.
0: Yeah. um, And because of that, he tunes the B string to not be a standard B, but to be the B that fits that interval the nicest. Okay. Um, Yeah. I think on a future episode, what I'd quite like to cover would be... um, which note on the piano is the most out of tune or something like that. We'll get on to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, in which case you actually... That's so wildly out of tune. Um, like, if you tried to play any standard chords on it, it would sound completely wrong. So what I'm mean to say is there might be something that eases the fingering, but you'd have to relearn everything. And it's probably better to ease, ease the brain than ease the fingers.
1: Okay. I suggest the halfway approach. Yeah. Instead of... Having a hundred different um, tunings, some of which might be ever so slightly better for one particular song. If is there a list of alternative tunings which cover, say, perhaps if you had three different tunings that covers ninety nine percent of music ever written.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you learn
1: standard and you learn drop D and you learn perhaps I don't know one or two more. Yeah. Is that's learnable, and is that a? Would that be a useful thing to have a an algorithm which said, right, of these types you know already, yeah, yeah. this is here's, the one you should be. Doing. Here's
0: the one to use. Well, it's interesting, um, and I don't know why, but violins are tuned completely different to guitars, um, which is to say that there is where guitars have a five semitone difference between their strings, with the exception of the B string. Yep. Um, violins have a seven semitone difference.
1: Hmm. Like consistently the whole way along.
0: Yeah. Well, oh, oh, I don't know about the higher strings, but um, at least from the from the from the lowest string to the second lowest string, it's a seven seven semitone difference. Okay. So there's something going on there, but that's probably something to do with the size of the instrument or something like that. But cellos are the same, from, from my understanding. Um. So it's a little, yeah, hmm. confusing. I suspect it's one of these organic things where you'll find that, um, although humans have this tendency to lean towards, like, tradition and things like that, like, those yep. tunings are probably derived from what was easiest originally. Okay. Maybe. So maybe the things we already have are pretty good. Like, for, I mean, for doing melody work and solos and things like that, like, you would want the next string to be something like like a sixth or a fifth or okay. some, something like that ab- above the next one, um, which... Yep means that it's probably pretty good that it's five semitones difference between the between the notes but yeah i mean yes maybe useful potentially okay yeah it it, it depends what the song is i I think you mostly convinced me that
1: it isn't useful and that's
0: okay (laughs) (laughs) but it is it's tunings are, are interesting because yeah there was just universes of tunings that aren't used and there's i think there's more interesting open tunings which are used for People who like to play slide guitar and stuff like that. So, recently, it's been the date that when we had Matthew Squawks on, we determined was Prime Day. The The most prime day. The most primeness day. But one thing that we didn't take into account in that episode was leap years. Or rather the, the next Prime Day that was upcoming. I mean, maybe we did talk about leap years in the episode, but what we didn't talk about was the next one that you think it might be is not actually going to be a Prime Day because 2020 has been a leap year. Yep. So the most prime minister day uh, of them all uh, didn't occur this year because of <laughs> a leap year. So potentially poorly timed of an episode, but you will have to wait till 2021 until we get Prime Day okay. properly.
1: Yeah. We can redo the calculations um, for leap years. I'm not going to redo the calculations.
0: No, and in fact it doesn't make any sense because yeah. like the, yeah there, some things, yeah, was ju- it's just <laughs> I don't think there's any <laughs> good calculations to be made because you can't have an odd number forwards and backwards which was th- one of the nice things yep. about it. Um, you'd have an even number backwards. Maybe backwards isn't so important but um, yeah, it, it won't be as satisfying <laughs> or as good it'll be this uh, subprime day.
1: Oh, that's okay. Leap years have more excitement than non-leap years. Than so non-leap the non-leap years. years get to have this instead.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now yeah, we did what well, we didn't talk in that episode it was prime seconds and hours. when is the when is the most prime moment on the most prime day? <laughs> but... No, no, Alex. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not worry about that. Right, Should we wrap up? Yes. Right. What do we do, Alex? We uh, every episode we talk about all the things because, okay, I know no one's really commuting at the moment, but uh, these episodes are like like an hour long, and sometimes it might take you two commutes, so it's nice to wrap up the stuff that we talked about early on in the episode and and what we thought about it and how satisfied we were with uh, what we did. So, what was the first thing that we did? Um, the only connected loops. So, how
1: uh, the different groupings of four by four words interacted.
0: Yeah. I'm glad that we worked out you know, the more abstract way of thinking about it and what a potential approach might be. But we didn't get the actual number.
1: No. No. I, I think it's something to sit down and just crunch through off air. Um, we didn't get a general pattern for being able to extend it
0: beyond. No. And it th- will be a two-variable thing. Yeah. Although I think the second variable, of the number of columns... M- potentially isn't as um
1: or matters less yeah yeah i i think 4x4 is the first hard one i think 3x3 is easy enough to just sit down with paper and churn through 4x4 is where it starts having a bit more structure to it but i think if you're trying the 5x5 then you need to just jump straight to the uh, the generalized case because it's going to get messy you Get
0: pretty silly pretty quickly
1: um i i just quite like the structure of it
0: yeah it's very um tricksy though you do think you found something unique and then it turns out it's actually uh, the same thing. The same, same thing as something that you've already done. Yeah, I'm giving it a five. No, I think I like it more than that. I'm going to give it a six. Okay. Uh, the second thing we did was uh, talking about queuing. Queuing theory. Interesting that it is called queuing theory and that it hasn't been Americanized into like line theory. But I suppose that's probably a little vague. Where was your book something from? Line theory. It wasn't a book. It was a blog. Right from 2008 Yeah um, But the guy looks pretty American if you ask me But I'm not <laughs> sure Because uh, he talks about tellers at a bank's And I'm not sure that we would uh, we would say tellers in English Yeah
1: I like the formula I, I liked the kind of surprising thing of how much difference it makes By uh, doubling your number of tellers
0: Yeah 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 It's, it's nice um,
1: Five hours to 8.3 minutes It's uh, surprising
0: Yeah, it was a really annoying one to work out the maths behind when I was preparing for the episode, because in computing, they kind of make the number, like, the service time is pretty trivial, so they confuse wait times and, like, total amount of time to run the, like, waiting plus servicing it. Okay, they're often used as just the same number. They use wait times pretty, like, verbally pretty interchangeably. Okay. So, at least, you know, in in the sort of casual blogs that I was seeing about it there is academic stuff on it that goes pretty deep uh one way to think about it is you create this thing rho which is like mu over lambda okay or something like that and then that means that the whole thing becomes proportional to one over one minus rho and then as rho approaches one that's when it goes off to infinity yeah so that's kind of what we're talking about like that that takes over
1: we were talking about how close these things were, which is the same concept.
0: Which is how close row gets to one, yeah, yep. essentially, yeah, yeah.
1: Seven. I liked it. Mm. I like yeah. talking about these things. Um, I like its application to kind of traffic theory.
0: Yeah, and um, something I wrote uh, an essay on in my masters, which is ped mod, pedestrian modeling. Yeah, it has applications there too, because it's all—it's super important in like daily life. I mean, you, people, you know teachers get questions around like when would I ever use such and such concept in maths when when am I ever going to use algebra in real life or whatever and it's like are you going to work in a shop (laughs) because you'll need it working in a shop Um, you don't get asked that very much no I think it's much much more of like a non-elective question you know if you're forced into doing maths but if Mm -hmm. you choose to then uh, you're probably not going to get asked it or ask it
1: yeah I think you're right Uh, the last thing we did So we were talking about alternative tunings, so drop D and the like, and I was asking a question about uh, whether we could implement this particular algorithm, and you answered it with, probably don't need to.
0: Well, the answer is yes, you totally could. Yep. And there is something to be done there, but nobody would use it. Okay. Yeah. Which is the, yes, when am I ever going to use maths in real life, is the other side of that, (laughs) which is the... The, uh, the
1: only people that would benefit from it are people that uh, were quite new to it, that didn't already have the ability to work out which tuning they should be in, but they yeah. should probably just be in standard tuning anyway.
0: Uh, yes. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> unless unless this totally exists, in which case I'm way open to it. I know there's nerds who really enjoy, uh, you know, their, their specialist subject is alternate tunings of guitars and things like that, so it might be interesting to them.
1: Do, when... Someone like Dave Grohl goes onto stage. Does yep. he have a different guitar for each song? Uh,
0: yeah, he'll have a different guitar for different tunings. Yeah, you'll see that when 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 they switch the guitars. And you know some guitars actually just sound different, and so you okay. might want to use the Gibson on that and the Ibanez on that or whatever. Um, but yeah, 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 they just they just change change the guitars. And some guitarists can just do it on the fly. They'll have some ele- electronic tune in. And between songs, when the, the singer will vamp for a bit and talk to the crowd, and you'll actually look in the background and the guitarist is like retuning um, the guitar. Okay. Um, there's a really impressive video of BB uh, King uh, restringing a guitar while performing. Um, one of his strings broke and he's just he does he's singing and he's kind of playing a little bit as well whilst like adding a string like back onto his guitar, it's super impressive <laughs> so some people can do it and, and other people just switch out um, depends depends on what your performance is like, if you're like Muse where yeah. you basically don't talk to the crowd um, Muse like don't really talk to the crowd very much, uh, at least they didn't used to I don't know if they've got better with that um, then yeah, you would just switch guitars you wouldn't like say, hey, how's it all going, Whilst going do 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 like on the, yep. yeah, tuning
1: yeah. And same question about pianos. That's a lot harder to change mid-performance.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't use alternate <laughs> <laughs> tunings at pianos. Although, hmm, yeah. you might think maybe about that. Maybe
1: you're playing your baroque 18th century stuff. There were, some
0: p- there were some pianos with like two... Historical tunings. Two keys in the black key one for going up one for going back down again we'll, we'll get on to this Pianos okay. out of tune that's a precursor to, to something that we'll, we'll talk about in a different episode which i'm excited to talk about okay cool next time yeah right well thank you alex yeah if you want to find odds and evenings you can find us at odds and evenings.com still question mark? yep 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 Yep. Um, com slash contact if you want to find us via email that goes into our email inbox we are at evenings on twitter uh, I am at speakmouthwords on twitter um, Aloic mans the Evenings twitter so if you want to find him find him that way or um, have you been putting content on com for uh, lockdown stuff
1: yes I, they don't need to see that that's uh, me setting work for my students at the moment
0: Okay, so if you want some boring A level work, go to alternativeticks.com.
1: <laughs> Maths teachers around the world have uh, been hijacking their own websites for more boring pursuits.
0: Yeah. Uh, anything else? Oh, yeah. Uh, background Music by uh, David Russell323 on YouTube. He's been putting out a series recently on the uh, interconnectedness of the musical motifs in the video game Kingdom Hearts. Um, worth checking out. On that. It might be on a slightly different channel. So I don't know. Just search it up. <laughs> I'll, maybe I'll put it <laughs> in the show notes. Cool. Thank you, Alex. Thank you very much for doing the show. See you later. Bye bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye bye. Right. Well, thank you, Alex. Yeah. Um, hope everyone enjoyed the episode. Oh, yeah. We, we have, we talk about how to get in touch with us. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, okay.